Hey there, Offgoers, Muse here, and this week's episode of the Going Off Podcast features a Patreon-requested album review. If there's an album you want reviewed on the podcast, pledge $40 to either patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. Dirty reviews! Done dirt cheap! It's the Going Off Podcast with Rap Critic and Muse. Sorry, I had to make that reference. I'm, I'm so sorry. It didn't even fit... <laughs> it didn't, and I'm sure people would argue that our forty dollars is not dirt cheap. <laughs> but you know, Done relatively cheap. <laughs> <laughs> this week on the Going Off podcast, we're joined again by the birthday boy, Rav. Happy birthday! <laughs> hey, hello there. How you doing? What? Wait, now I remember what my quote was gonna be. What was it gonna be? No, no. Uh, check, check it out. Check it out. That you had big balls, was that it? No, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. Scrap that whole thing. This is this is the uh, quote now. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Buying our own Halloween candy because we're fucking adults. It's the Going Off Podcast with Rap Critic and Muse. Uh. You can't tell me. So, like, literally, we were driving home. Mm. And, like, you know, we had just, you know, bought some chocolate or whatever. And we're driving home and we're looking over... You know, to the to the side, you're seeing all these kids walking by. You know, to 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 their little begging for candy, little routine. You know, and it's like, wow, I can just buy my shit, and it doesn't have to be like a grab bag of whatever old lady you know thinks that I should get like fucking pennies or some shit. No, I can just get some like salted caramel chocolate, and that's just my fucking choice. Like being an adult is awesome. <laughs> But you gotta pay for it, though. Yeah, I know, but at least it's what you want. Dude, how many times as a kid was it like, oh, like, for me, I wanted Butterfingers and fucking Reese's. I don't give a shit about Starburst. I don't give a shit about fucking any of those, uh, uh, th- those candies, like, like uh, Skittles. Fuck all those fruit-flavored candies. If I want fruit, I'll just eat fucking fruit. Give me chocolate, goddammit. <laughs> I'm I'm really I'm really happy that for once I'm not here with the controversial opinions. I'm just enjoying like being in the background now. I was all about the I was all about the fruit flavored candies, the Skittles, the Smarties, the Sweet Tarts, the Shockers. Do you remember Shockers? Oh no, sir. No, oh, sir. The, all all the fucking sour. Bro, cherry heads. Cherry heads. They're like what, 10 cents at the gas station? Hell yeah. What are those? They're like lemon heads, but Cherry? Yeah. cherry? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh. The only flavored shit I would get was Jolly Ranchers. I fuck with Jolly Ranchers. All right, yeah. Candy. Yeah. I, I, I hate the cherry candy flavor. Me too, usually. But that one, the cherry heads, oh man, they're amazing. I don't care what you say. It reminds me too much of medicine as a kid. Like the cherry oh, flavor. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't eat grape or cherry flavored candies because it reminds me too much of like fucking Robitussin. Mm. I wonder why that was. Why did they use grape and cherry the most for those types of things? And they're not even close to the actual flavors. No. So no. it's like, like, was it just the easiest to, to the cheapest to make? You know. Ah, eh, maybe. It was a shitty representation though, and it really fucked up my worldview because now I can't <laughs> deal with candy that yeah. tastes even remotely close to it. The things that we eat that are really unhealthy, a lot of them are like sweets, right? But a lot of those sweets are supposed to be representative of the flavor of the thing that it would probably be better to eat. Like, it would be a much better idea to eat actual strawberries than it would be to eat, you know, a Jolly Rancher, a strawberry-flavored Jolly Rancher, you know? But you can't keep strawberries in, like, your pocket in transit, you know what I'm saying? That's true, that's true, Yeah, yeah. 
If you could like make them small and then like make them regrow in your hand like some sort of pokeball type of deal, then that would be cool. Because <laughs> that's the only, I think that's one of the major drawbacks of real fruit. You can't really stuff mm-hmm. them in your pockets, and if you do, it's just you know not a good time. I think when yeah. I think what people were trying to go for was like pop tarts, like it's a fruit filling, you know. Because if you got the Pop-Tarts, you got two of them, you got two toaster pastries, and a little aluminum foil pouch. Should be easy enough to tote around, carry around. Do you guys remember in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they made, like, Pop-Tart sticks? And they were just, like, basically Pop-Tarts, but in thirds? And so basically it was just a lot more, you know, of the fucking, uh, uh... The, the, the pastry part and not enough of the strawberry part. Yeah, it was a lot more pastry and a lot more packaging. And mm-hmm. not as much of the fucking fruit filling. I remember they tried to make already portable things somehow even more portable there for a while. Because if you've got a little cup of pudding or yogurt, that should be fine. But then they're like, no, 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 go-gurt. You, you put it in a tube. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I can already eat it as is. This is not inconvenient. It's fine. It's not even that easy to do that. Like, to have a Gogurt thing? Like, who... Do you really walk down the street with, like, a Gogurt thing? You know? Mm. You, you, you are usually, like, standing still. At which point, like, just eat it, eat it with a fucking... The normal way anyway. You know? I'm on mm. the block all the time with a Gogurt in my mouth. <laughs> you tripping. You, you walk down the street, you're skateboarding with a fucking Gogurt in your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have I, the blunt in the mouth, and then when the cops, like, arrive, I just swap it around with a Gogurt. <laughs> See, what what you do is, you need to... You cover it up with a Gogurt packaging. Exactly! You, That's yeah, it. of course. You just cover it with a little slit the sleeve. There you only go. Problem is, uh, only problem is, it'll still burn through it, so it's like... Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're on to something here, for sure. We wanted to have Rev on this week, aside from the fact that we haven't had him on in, like, over, like, half a year, and it's been way too long, um, mm. is that you've got stuff. You've got the physical... Viagra. Uh, you, you got the physical copies of the Beneath the Toxic Jungle, the album we reviewed. Oh, my God. Yep. Almost two years ago? They sold out a couple days ago. Sorry. Oh, they did? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But it's okay. I'm planning to restock... Um, if not in CDs, in terms of CDs, definitely cassettes at least or something. I don't know. Ooh. I want to I wanna start getting more into merch because that's something I haven't really played around with before. Yeah. And you've also got the EP the on, on Bandcamp, the uh, EP uh, Volume uh, 6. Yes, vo- besides Volume 6. Oh, and Beneath the Toxic Jungle. Did you say available on Spotify? I didn't know it was on Spotify. It's available oh, on Spotify shit. and I think titled, but I haven't checked. So. Oh, uh. Jeez, that is big news. Yeah, so there, so there's that. So hopefully, hopefully that's a good thing. I don't know. I did it because I was told that it's a good idea to do so. I think it would be beneficial. Yeah, because some people, that's how they find music these days, you know. So I, so I totally get that. I just don't really know how all of it really works because I'm, I don't really have a Spotify. But at least I'm on Spotify now, so that's cool. Have you heard the name of Maroon 5's new album? Oh, yeah. I heard it's called like Red Pill something. Yeah. They named their album Red Pill Blues. 
they were just trying to make a cute Matrix reference, but they didn't yeah. realize what red pilling meant in, in today's society. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking assholes ruin everything. <laughs> and it's funny because like, oh man, taking the red pill. Yeah. Inspired by that movie about that was written by, well, at this point, two trans women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the story was taken from a black woman, actually. Oh. So. <laughs> I think it's yeah. so sad how this article ends. Well, it's too late to go back now. Red Pill Blues is due out this Friday. <laughs> so even if they wanted to rename it, they couldn't. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. So now they're just stuck with it, yeah. I hope they don't have any songs about, like, heartbreak, and it's like, oh, man, I'll never fall in love again. It's like, yeah, Emory Anthem. Oh, no. (laughs) no. Everything's going to be taken out of context now. Someone commented in the comment section of our last video, which, by the way, we didn't even address that the podcast is on your channel now. That was a decision made in the 11th hour last week. So, we didn't even mention it on last week's show, but yeah, the podcast is going to be on Rap Critics' channel uh, from this point uh, going forward. Uh, Someone left a comment saying that Eminem originally had more of, uh, had more verses planned for the song Stan. Yeah, how many more verses could you have? There's like four. There were going to be two more. Was it gonna be from the perspective of like the mom or some shit? Like no. So what happened was, uh, so Stan, uh, he lives the the uh, attempted suicide, and he's in the hospital, mm. and he's writing Eminem, wondering why he isn't writing him a get well soon card. Okay, that would be too much. And then in the <laughs> then in the final verse, Eminem is at home and Stan breaks into his house and Eminem has to kill him. Who, who, who who's the source for this? Yeah. Eminem said it himself. You could find audio of him saying it in a radio interview on YouTube. Man, is that really he, he's got to be kidding, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, like that sounds—that sound, sounds worked. like a joke. That sounds like someone like like the an onion type of article. What if there were like six more verses? He's just like really embarrassed, and he's just trying to incrementally. <laughs> no, it would be. Let us no, it would be hilarious if there's like an alternate universe where like this is what he originally intended, <laughs> and like people are just listening to it, just like. Oh my god, you, thank god somebody got in your ear and made sure you didn't release that shit. Because <laughs> it would have it ruined the whole, like, point. It's like, because the point is like, oh my god, he did this, he was inspired to do this horrible thing, and then he died, and then, you know, here comes Eminem, doesn't realize that it's already happened, the dramatic irony is that he's writing to someone who's already dead. That's what's enjoyable about it, but for it to be like, imagine, like, the song ended, damn, and then you hear the... Yeah. And then... All right, well, here I am in the hospital, Em, and you still haven't written me. <laughs> like, he just would have been like, what? Is this still <laughs> you, you still ain't writing to me, asshole. <laughs> you did, you son of a bitch. <laughs> the, the next verse, I'm out of the hospital now, and guess what? Whoop-a-doo, no letters from Eminem. <laughs> Dude, that would have been so dumb, and, and it would have ruined the, the part two. No, that would have been great. Like, recovery's out and you still ain't written anything. That's weird. <laughs> what the fuck, him? Like, it just goes on forever, like, uh, <laughs> it's just still closet. an ongoing TV series, yeah. <laughs> the first episode, the fucking pilot, it ends with him going, damn, 
and then everything else is just <laughs> going on from there. It's like, wait, there, there was more that you had to write for this shit? Like, pull, pull the plug, bro. Hey, Em, it's my birthday, and I still haven't heard back. <laughs> it's 2017, and for some reason I'm still writing you letters. Do you remember how Mr. Belvedere always ended with him writing in his journal about, like, the story <laughs> that happened? I just picture the same thing about, like... <laughs> Every episode ends with Eminem just going, hey, I was watching the news and there was this guy who was mad that he didn't get a birthday letter and his name was, <laughs> oh, it was you. <laughs> he realizes, oh shit, it was you. Damn. Every episode. <laughs> yeah. Like a recurring type of deal. It's That'd like, holy great. shit, dude, maybe I should just write him back. This will save us both a lot of trouble. But then, yeah, the, like, the twist dude, is that M has Alzheimer's. Goddamn- <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, the twist. Your- no, it's like, just give me your goddamn phone number for, for fuck's sake. Just be like, yo, I-, I would give you a burner, a burner phone number. You can call me, you know, and be like, yo, it's me, Eminem. All right, fuck off. Don't call me anymore. Yeah. Because I wonder, after, like, would the first phone call be enough? Like, do you think it would be like, whew, finally got to talk to Eminem, that was great. And then you call him back, it's like, ah, he's not answering. Bad. Well, you know, at least I got to talk to him the one time. Or is Stan expecting a fucking thing With every like single time? Like a friendship. Time? Like, what? I thought we were cool. Because he wasn't that off the deep end in the first verse, you know? He was just like, hey, you know, big fan. You know? Wait, how does he start the verse? He says, uh, hey, Em, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling? I left my home phone. Oh, yeah, he gave him his phone number, but I think in the music video, you see that, like, his letter fell out of the carrier thing or whatever. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I can't be expected to know what happened in the music video. If if you meant that to be canon, you gotta put it in the song. But then he wrote two letters back in autumn. He said, you must not have got him. The problem was a problem at the post office or something. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, are you not writing? You know what I think it is? I think this motherfucker just, like, wrote the address wrong. Like, like right before he's, he's like, oh, okay, I'm almost at the bridge now. Oh, shit, that was supposed to be a zero, not an eight. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that'd be a twist. Yeah, that'd be a good twist. Like, he's, he's in the hospital. That's the, that's the next verse. He's in the hospital telling his mom, like, how mad he is that he even left this postcode. And, no, no, she's like, the doctor's asking her, like, where, does he, where do you guys live? And she recites the postcode, and he's like, oh, fuck, eight? Oh, my, oh, wow. I, I, was, I, I put my parents' zip code, fuck. Oh, well, I've got egg on my face. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it'd be funny if he's like, he's like, oh, man, this is all just a big misunderstanding. And they're like, but you're still going to jail for, you know, kidnapping your girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because like, they're still oh, dead. Wah, wah. <laughs> so so by the way, wasn't she just I ha, now I have a couple questions about Stan. So his girlfriend was pregnant during that time, right? Yeah. And yeah. then when he's dead at the graveyard, his son is standing there, right? So it's been years. No, at this that's point. his little brother. That's his oh, little that's brother. his little brother. Does does mm-hmm. does his girlfriend and child die? He ties her up while she's pregnant. In the back of the car. Right. And, I mean, there's no way for her to get out of the fucking car, so she's definitely dead. But in part two, she says, uh, the guy says, it's, it's, uh, Marshall Mitchell. Bitch, I even have your initials. 
Because he's saying he's Stan's brother. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, okay, okay. So, fuck, okay, then that would have been the perfect next verse in the hospital when he goes, yeah, fuck, it's an eight, and they're like, your wife's dead. Whew. Okay, well, at least I won't have that awkward conversation, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but now you're extremely going to jail. Yeah, you're so going to jail, like, like <laughs> hella hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, they're going to lock you under the fucking jail. <laughs> A interviewer from GQ magazine caught up with Andre 3000, uh, just kind of talked to him, and the interview is all on uh, GQ.com. You could read it. It's going to be an upcoming issue, all that. But, um, man, it is like such a glimpse at Andre's like midlife crisis, so to speak, of how both of his parents passed away within six months of each other. He's got a coke habit now. His kid's going off to college, and Andre's just at home trying to learn to play instruments, and that's just how his life is going now. But he's, like, super rich, so, like, he doesn't, like, have to worry about anything. It's just, there's just nothing for him to do. Like, reading the article, it really does feel like he feels like he has no purpose. It's weird. Like... And then, like, literally the first thing they start the article off with is, yo, you know, if a bomb gets dropped... I have this, uh... He's basically a doomsday prepper. I'm surprised the interview <laughs> didn't go into that more. Yeah, like, it started off with that. It was just like, well, anyway, let's talk about it. It was like, whoa, can we go back to this? Like, there's a whole other thing about, like, just... It, it's weird. Like, Andre at the other side of fame. He's not, like, down and out. He's not poor, but it's just like, huh, I don't really need to do anything anymore. You see the pictures... And, 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 like, underneath each fucking picture, they're saying, like, you know, uh, Berluti coat, $8,450. Like, Jesus Christ, why? Why the fuck does this coat cost so goddamn much? Just a fucking coat. I think it was funny because at one point he says, like, I mean, I got money. I don't have, like, a bunch of cars, but, you know, I buy a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. at that point, what are you going to buy? You know? I know. If you're fucking like, used to, if you're used to the money and you're used to buying expensive clothes, I guess you're gonna keep buying expensive clothes. Or <laughs> it's like I'm already at this level where I buy these amount of clothes, so I can't like go backwards and just buy a fifty, uh, you know, just buy like twenty dollar shirt or some shit. I think the way it goes is, isn't it like designers think you're a big name, and normally you don't even fucking buy the clothes; they fucking give it to you so you can be seen wearing it. Oh right, right, right. But then it's like, who's buying it? Because, like, the average person mm. isn't going, wow, that's a cool $8,000 coat. I want to get, like, no. So it can only literally be impressive to, like, other rich kids who have parents, like, who have money. Right? Like, that's literally who this is advertising. But you saying that uh, there's, like, this, this assumption that the only reason you would buy that is to impress somebody. What if, like, money isn't really a thing to you and you just, like, that looks dope and that's it? You, you're... Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not advertising to you or me, the common person. Right. It's literally just advertising to, like, trust fund babies. Like, yo, do you want right. to get this? You got to get this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, catch me outside, Danielle, whatever. She's buying the $8,000, you know, shit. Exactly. Like, I feel like it's the exact same thing with, like, drug dealers, man. Like, like it's all a big scam. Like, hey, you've got the money, 
buy this or whatever and it's like cool i bought this one thing that has one purpose and i'm probably not going to wear it that much and because i don't have that much money i'm probably not going to wear it all that much because i'm afraid it's going to get ruined and then what i'm going to buy another one to replace it like now you're stuck in that fucking lifestyle but to to piggyback off Danielle, which is something I didn't even really think about. We've talked about this on the show before. Recently, we were talking about Lil Wayne and how he was, like, uh, dealing with his addiction to lean, pretty much. And we were wondering, like, how he got on that track or whatever. And we were talking about how hard and difficult it is for people who get into the industry at such a young age. I didn't realize that fucking Outkast were 17 when they started. Yeah, yeah. And, and he had a quote and he said... They say if you're an entertainer, whatever time you took off, you stay that age. And he's like, I was 17. It's just like, holy shit. Holy fucking shit. They were goddamn 17. Like, they were also, like, in a way, child stars. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, uh, so I was basically, I was almost the same age as Soldier Boy when he started. Yeah, all right, now that motherfucker don't got no excuse. <laughs> and Nas. Think <laughs> you know, about Nas. like... Yeah, people are always like, oh, man, he young, don't hate on him, because, you know, he's going to develop. It's like, no, no. Uh, how young was Nas when he recorded most of Illmatic? Wasn't he, like, 17? Yeah, uh, I think LL Cool J, I think when he did his first CD, he was, he was uh, 17 as well. Mm. I wonder like, if the expensive stuff is, like, also, because you mentioned, like, names that you don't recognize, right? I'm wondering if it's some sort of startup brands or friends you know because a lot of times when people have a lot of disposable income they invest in dreams of people they believe in so it's like Uh, oh this upcoming like fashion designer in nigeria who needs sort of like a boost and so to basically if you're someone like andre 3k and you invest in their clothes that's sort of a good look and it's not much of a deal for you and if you like the clothes you like the clothes so it's sort of like a win-win situation so i wonder for people like andre 3k i think would be more something like that than um anything else and it's, also it's who you support because you know if you're supporting just like those big common names like gucci and people who've been successful for decades and decades that's one thing but if you're supporting people from your block like the up-and-comer yeah, yeah and from yeah. your block or from your country or from like you know, if you're from, if you're of a disenfranchised folk and there's someone else who, who you know, you're coming up, you're a famous rapper and they're coming up and they're trying to make it in the world of fashion, you could help them out, you know? I thought it was interesting because before we got started, you were talking about how you wanted to make a mixtape essentially of mm-hmm. all the Andre guest verses and kind of rework them into like the Andre solo album we never got, you know? And that reminded me that there's a good chunk in the interview where something he's just doing now is making bootleg Anita Baker merch. (laughs) It was like, that has got to be the most random fucking, like, what? (laughs) Yeah, so this is a really weird uh, thought process, but, you know, just follow it. So... He saw that someone was selling Anita Baker merch, and Anita Baker was a musician that he got into, and he really dug it at a young age, and he was like, shit, yeah, now, now this fucking Anita Baker merch, I need that, I need that shirt, and he bought it, and he said that it was, like, really cheap feeling, and it was clearly, like, a, a bootleg, and he was like, well, shit, if people are selling bootleg Anita Baker merch, I can make better 
bootleg Anita Baker merch, and what if, when I do, I then pitch that merch to Anita Baker, and then she could sell it as official merch? It's all, for, for a person who is like a multi-platinum recording artist, Grammy Award winner, <laughs> I'm sure, this is just like... What the f- what? <laughs> like, <laughs> this this interviewer had so much restraint from not delving deeper into about the uh, doomsday shelter. Like, yeah. so are you buying things from the InfoWars store? Like, are you getting your supplements? <laughs> like, to selling bootleg Anita Baker merch, hoping that she, like, what? Do you think this may be a cry for help? It's not the fact that he's wanting to help out an artist or whatever, because he's like, yeah, I can understand that. I can get behind that. But it's the fact that it's Anita Baker. Like, nobody's talking about Anita Baker. It's like, hey, I tried to buy some Al B. Shore merch, and it wasn't it wasn't up to snuff, so I'm going to start selling Al B. Shore merch and see if he <laughs> wants it. Like, why would they want it? And B, how much do you think they're actually going to sell? Like, all of it's so weird. He wants someone to notice so that they'll, like... Because, you know, he was talking in the interview, it's like, people pay attention to you, but they don't treat you like a human being. They treat you like, here is this, the commodity that is Andre 3000, instead of, like, here's this person I'm just hanging out with, you know? And also, these shirts are like... Like, this shirt says, I need a baker. And it, it's just like, it just says it a whole bunch of times. Like, get it? I need a baker. I need a baker. And it's just like, what the fuck? I don't, like, this is such a strange thing. But yeah, I, I think this is just what happens. Like, rich people who are just like, and, and he said something where he's like, nobody tells you no. Or just like, just no one objects to you. Like, no one has... A conversation where they conflict with your ideas, and then I saw the performance that he did of Hey Ya because they were they were bringing it up, and it's like it really is kind of crazy, man. Like I, I was just watching it, and I was like, I just was transported back to my ten year old self again, like watching Andre just being like inspired by this manic creativity. And I think he says in the interview where it's just like something about like they wanted me to go, so I just started going. And for the show, and I was just like, nothing was really rehearsed. I was just moving around a lot. <laughs> and you watch the show, and it's just like, yeah, it really does look like nothing was rehearsed. Like, the mic doesn't really sound level. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he just runs around. He drops the mic in a way that, like, looks like that wasn't supposed to happen. Because you can hear, like, the thud of the microphone. <laughs> and he's just, like, jumping around. It's like, what the fuck? Dude, you know, I'm well, watching this. There is no fucking way this performance would happen today with all this, like, Native American bullshit going on. Oh, yeah! Where it's like, with the, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, I was like, no! We've got a psychedelic TP in the middle. It's like, oh, no. Ah! <laughs> oh, no, Andre. What did you get yourself into? I mean, Pharrell wasn't able to get away with it, so. Remember <laughs> when he did the headdress? People was like, nah. People weren't feeling it? Yeah. Oh my but god, they're know, all think... doing the fucking hand over the mouth thing. Oh, this is bad. Uh, I think Andre 3000 is weird enough where people just don't question it, though. Yeah. Where it's just like, I, like, you know it's not coming from an offensive place with him. He's just fucking weird like that. Well, it <laughs> like, might not have even been his idea, either. 
That, that's also true. Something about Hey Ya that I was just thinking about. Even at a young age, when that song first came out, it struck me as sad. The, um, y'all don't want to hear me, you just want to dance. That, dude, if that doesn't sound like a call for help in a small way, like, you guys don't care what I'm saying. Even at the time when that song came out, I was like, God, how old was I? Yeah, so I was like, like 16, 17, and I was like, like the way he says it and how it's just like in the background, I'm like, man, that's like a fucking... That's like commentary on the entire genre right there. <laughs> yeah. Like it starts off like when you first hear it, it kind of sounds like ah, you you guys, you're just trying to have a good time. But on the other hand, it's just like I seriously like am going through some things and no one cares. <laughs> but um yeah, cuz then right after that it's the fucking uh you know, who what's cooler than being cool? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So it's like, oh, yeah, real sick. And then, like, the verses are actually really dark, too. Like, you know, if, um, what do they say? If they say nothing is forever, what makes love the exception? Like, what, and why are we in denial when we know we're not happy here? Like, this is actually really dark shit. <laughs> and I think it's after that when he says, like, ah, you guys aren't paying attention to what the fuck I'm talking about. I, I think that's, yeah, because I don't even think I ever really thought about that deeply. And so think, he makes a good point. Yeah, and you know what's funny? It's interesting that that line is there because, like you said, there have been songs that have been like, oh, it's sad, but it uses upbeat, you know, music. Like, the lyrics are sad, but the music is upbeat. But I think that's the first time I ever ha- heard a song where, like, he directly commented on the fact that you guys aren't paying attention. <laughs> I think he's going. I think he's going through some sort of like rough patch, or maybe he's just that's how how he is, you know. He's he like there's just a room full of instruments, and he's trying to learn them, but like he's not good at any of them. But, but he doesn't want to tell people which one he's trying to learn. Because everything everything you guys have mentioned so far just sounds mad defeatist. Like everything is finite and decrepit and useless, and how he's just not good enough at anything. That definitely sounds like yeah. some. Something's going on. Yeah, I think it's so weird because they was they were saying like, yeah, I, I need to learn an instrument, and people were like, well, like you're um you're an amazing rapper, and he's like, ah, but that doesn't count. Like, how how does that not count? Why doesn't that count? To who? To you, or do you think to everyone else? Gene Simmons. Oh, only money counts to Gene Simmons. And you know what's the funny thing? It's not like he's a bad rapper at all. Every time you hear a new verse from him, it's always good. So it's not like, it really does feel like he's like a savant. Like, he's just like, eh, it's boring to put out top-notch verses all the time. Like, what What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, if he was bad at it, it would be like, all right, maybe you should stop. But he's actually really good, so it's like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, but you know, like, you can be good and you can deliver something that people would be really happy with, but you sort of, like, do not feel... That fulfillment, yeah. sort of yeah. like man, like I I know like what I put together sounds cool, but it just doesn't make me feel good walking away from it. Like there, mm. like I there's something missing. Yeah, I mean whatever's going on, I hope I hope he gets better or you know whatever. Uh, he's a he's definitely a hero of mine, and I wish him all the best. Yeah, dude, I fucking love Andre, bro. Like I I, I straight up I like. The way people go like, oh my god, you're a, 
this the stereotypical like you're a super fan of someone like I am that super fan of this guy because it's like he was so weird but it was cool and like that is such a strange thing because like you know like especially at the time like now people can be weird and it's sort of okay but like at the time it's like if you're a square if you're talking about like weird shit like you're not cool but somehow this guy was on songs with fucking Lil John and fucking, you know, uh, like all these people that you would consider to be cool. And he was talking about all this weird shit, but it was somehow okay. Like, that's kind of fascinating how he was able to carve out that niche. To, you know? to me, he like, was like just like any other, like at the time, dope ass underground rapper who just happened to blow up because him and Big Boy had this chemistry that was viable in terms of like mm. oh a mainstream audience would eat this up and then everybody who's actually listening to the lyrics would also enjoy it so it's it, it was definitely like mm. i don't know a success on ac across a number of levels because to me yeah, they were like an underground rap crew you know mm -hmm. and the thing about big boy is that like people discount big boy i think a lot i, I, I He's think what dope. happens is I think underground, like, um, people who are more, like, underground, people who are more, like, like the gritty street shit or southern dirty rap, you know, like, un uh, unfettered by, like, other, you know, like, uh, untouched by, like, the more esoteric angles. They just, like, straight up gangster rap shit. I think people gravitate more towards him in that respect, but, like, you can't sleep on him either because when you listen to his flows, he's actually doing a lot of shit. No, he's you great. You know what I mean? Like, he's great. Yeah. He's working in a way that was just like a normal rapper who's not trying too hard would not be doing what he's doing. I love Big Boy, you know and he saying? had bars. Like, he had, like, lines that it would be really memorable, did. yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to make assumptions or draw conclusions, but just, just as a sort of segue, uh, talking earlier about, you know, not being up to your own personal standard, I was going to ask you about about the, uh, about the EP, the B-sides. Mm -hmm. what, what makes a song... A b-side in your opinion like when you record songs do you just record them when one comes to you and then it's like yeah i don't think that this is going to be on a, like a full thing but i still like it enough to release it like yeah. how, how like what's the context there yeah i think it usually it's like uh i guess a song comes to me or i, I have something to sort of put out there and i'm like i need to get rid of this emotion that's sort of building up within me and I sometimes it's it's sort of I put it out and I, I just do it and then I kind of think of it in retrospect like well this is not going to end up on any album or tape that I'm working on in terms of like oh I'm really thinking it through and this is the kind of uh, something a, a cohesive body of work uh, body of work uh, in terms of you know themes or whatever with b-sides it's usually just I record music I record a lot of music and even with my B-sides tape, like with this one, there were, there were definitely recurring themes. And that's just because I was recording it around the same time. So I was going through a lot of the same shit. And um, so it just happens to have this sort of like some recurring themes and such. But overall, I would say that's what sets it apart. Like with, with an album song, sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll I'll be very like particular about it and take my time whereas with the b-sides it's sort of like i need to record this i'm just gonna do it it might end up on on my main tape might not probably not 
I don't think I do enough music. I don't think I make enough music, but my output is kind of, I, I do actually record quite a lot and I don't want to hoard it. I don't want to release a bunch of main tapes. So just calling things B-sides makes it seem like, oh, these are all throwaways, but, sh- but I'm still putting them out there. Like since Beneath the Toxic Jungle, I've dropped five B-sides. I consider my B-sides are so, sort of like a diary that I put out there to show my appreciation to all the people who enjoy my music. And um, it also makes me feel better. Like once I put the B-sides out, I can think of my next like uh, sort of creative uh, adventure or whatever. Like, oh, I, now I can work on a tape. Because like when you have all these songs laying around, you you don't know what to do with them. Like maybe they'll go on my tape and then maybe uh, I just sometimes I just want to dump it and just start afresh. Just clean everything up and like, all right knew me you know <laughs> like let, let's let's go so that's how that's how i personally work do you still like beneath the toxic jungle yeah absolutely i still think that's my my best body of work because um the significance that it has um to me in terms of i feel like that's when i really grew up that's when like when i recorded that tape is when i realized what i wanted from my life what I expected of myself up till then I recorded a lot of music I, I lived for many years and and all that but to me I view Beneath the Toxic Jungle as a coming of age kind of um tale of me sort of not necessarily overcoming depression and like uh <laughs> being a happy human being forever and ever uh it's it's more so like all right I've been through a lot of whack shit a lot of dope shit and um and i i think i'm growing up that's how it felt to me that's why the whole the dragon thing like a thousand years in the sea a thousand years in the mountain dragon that just meant like go through a lot of dumb shit go through a lot of good shit and grow up and sort of become who become the the adult you i suppose i really enjoyed that i think that Thank is you. one of my favorite albums that we've listened to on the show in that's that's crazy uh, i appreciate that thank you in in 130 episodes now it, it, it'll be the 130th this week yeah like it just it just i don't know if it was just because it was so out of nowhere like it was just one of those weeks where we didn't know what to review and i was like shit i'm just gonna go on Bandcamp and i'm just gonna pick something at random and i just picked your album based on the cover art and listened to it and was like, like it was so, because I've done that shit before on Bandcamp and it hasn't worked out. Like we'll all just go on there and try to pick something random and be like, "Ah." but that was like, like I I messaged Aaron so fast. I was like, shit, we need to do this. Like (laughs) this is fucking dope. We need to review this. And since then, like seeing a needle drop uh, retweet you yep. a while back, uh, re- retweeting the album out, like I get excited for that shit yeah. so much for, uh, for for you and Bill. You know, Thank just you. I, I hate to bring him into this if there's if there's bad blood. I understand. Yeah, fuck Bill. <laughs> but you know, it's like I, I can't help but like I know I'm not personally responsible for for anything that no, that comes dude. Your guys okay, no, because... I, let me cut you off. I really appreciate what you guys have done for me. We do regular streams on Discord, Bill and I, and uh, we've got like a few fans that tell me, 
They tell me every time as if I for like I I think they think I don't remember this, but they always tell me that <laughs> the two of y'all put him onto my music. You know, like a fan would be like, "Oh yeah, I, I li- I'm a big rap critic and Muse fan, and now I'm a big fan of your music thanks to them." And wow. and I always. And, and it happens quite a lot. And it happens, of course, there's people coming from Anthony Fantano. You've got people coming from now from Super Mega. Right, uh, yeah. And Game Grumps. But I I appreciate, I really appreciate it because you guys didn't have to review it at all. You didn't, you could have just, you could have just skipped it or you could have, you know. Um, so it, it's, it's really cool. I I I feel very lucky that the, the art was dope enough to pique your interest. Uh <laughs> And, um, and, and it's, yeah, it's exciting for me too, um, to see that sort of people pick up on it, especially when it's as random as like, you guys picked up on it, like shortly after it had, it had been released. Anthony found it on YouTube, like two years later. I don't even know why. Um, I know he's listened to my music before cause he wrote someone at the needle drop, uh, reviewed my tape before that. And he tweeted my music, but um, it's it's always a pleasant surprise when it just happens out of nowhere, regardless of who shows me love, because I don't go out there actively sending emails out to people like, "Hey, li- listen to this, listen to my music." <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad at PRing, uh, so whenever somebody finds my music, it's thanks to people like you, and it really means a lot to me because it encourages me. When 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 people come through and they're like, "Hey, um, you know, your music makes me feel sane because ev- everyone is so ironic in my school, and every all everything is ironic. Music is ironic. The perspectives are, are ironic. Everyone's joking around. Everything's a meme. Everything's temporary. So that when you have these real kind of just emotions where you contemplate." like where you are in this world or whatever, right? And and you start to feel weird because you think maybe I'm just very sensitive because no one's like that. Um, and then I hear your music and it, it makes me feel like I'm all right, I'm okay. It makes me feel like I'm sane too, you know? Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm too whiny or if I'm too self-centered. So if somebody else likes it, that kind of validates the eff- my efforts. So I appreciate it. <laughs> This week on the Going Off Podcast, we are reviewing a Patreon-requested album, requested by Stuart Robertson. If you have an album you want reviewed on the show, it is as simple as pledging $40 to either patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. This week, we are reviewing Power Ridge by ACDC, their release from, I think, 1978, uh, their fifth official release their fourth international release um an album i myself had never heard i uh i had a phase in high school where i listened to them a little bit i had a shirt i had some of their cds but i skipped power ridge for whatever reason i think it's because i didn't recognize any of the songs off of it yeah that's that's one of the things that i had noticed i was like i don't know any of these songs yeah it, it uh, didn't spur any uh any radio singles any big hits the only song i knew was gone shooting because it was on the beavis and butthead soundtrack oh huh for the movie yeah yeah 
I'm really interested to see how, what you thought of this because I don't know how exposed you are to the whole 70s proto-metal stuff. I, I hear more about, like, R&B, some rock stuff, but I never hear ACDC come up in, come up in conversation. It's, it's a lot like when we got that Aerosmith uh, album reviewed. I was very curious what your take would be. Uh, what did you think of old Power Ridge? You're asking the rap critic what he, what he thinks of a 70s rock album. So your mileage may vary on what, on how you value my opinion. Right. But uh, I was fucking bored. You were like, bored. Okay. Yeah. I was listening to this album and it was just like, it felt like every song was like, it's that type of uncreativeness where it feels like, I could swear I've heard a song like this before, but I think that's just because it sounds generic as fuck. Like, all these songs sound generic as fuck. Like, they're just background music that you would use for a movie about rock and roll, you know, in the <laughs> 70s. You know, like, they're all just, like, the perfect sort of, like, they fit the mold for the criteria of a rock. You know, everything is... You know, everything is just that. Right. And it's like, nothing stuck out to me except for Gone Shooting part of Sin City, and kicked in the teeth. Everything else was just like, this is all the same. Like, nothing sticks out at all. Like, the riffs aren't unique. Nothing really, like... It was only times when the guitar stopped playing or something else happened where it was like, oh, my brain is lighting up right now. Hey, here's something new. Everything else just felt like a sludge. Like, it was just, all right, yeah, we've already heard this song. Like, I couldn't even concentrate on, like, what the the topics were you know i'm usually right. that person who's like oh i want to know what the song's about i was like i my brain like couldn't focus enough to really pay attention to what they were saying you know and and the thing is like i can swear this group was really interesting like didn't they do big balls didn't they do um oh uh, what else did they do? tnt yeah fucking uh oh what was that one song uh you shook me all night long in that them yeah yeah and um uh, what was the other joint? Uh, uh, Dirty Deeds, Thunder Chief. I like, thought that was going to come up, yeah. Yeah, I was like, where are the, like, and I'm not saying I need to hear those songs, but, like, those songs are interesting to me. I'm like, where the fuck are those songs? You know, where are those types of songs that are just, like, they have riffs that mean something. They have lyrics that, like, pop out at you, you know? Like, I didn't really get that here. It was relatively tame on a lot of these, you know? I feel you 100% on that. And uh, it's interesting because all the songs you mentioned are on, like, the three previous albums. Uh-huh. Of course people suggest the one album <laughs> that has, like, no recognizable songs. They're like, fuck that. I want y'all to... I want to hear what y'all have to say about this song that no one's fucking talking about. <laughs> it, is it is funny because it is considered one of the most underrated because it doesn't get brought up much. And uh, I read up a good bit on this because I was curious as to, like, the background and the history of it and all that. And while that didn't exactly influence my opinion on it, I just think it's interesting. Because at the time, people did look at their catalog of songs and, like, the ones you were talking about where, like, it was mostly, like, trying to kind of, like, glorifying violence and a lot about, like, drinking and doing all this shit and whatever. That people saw Powerage as being like ACDC maturing because they weren't 
singing about that shit anymore. This, this is considered like a blues rock, almost like that early Aerosmith we talked about. You know, I, but I thought the Aerosmith was more interesting. Uh, yeah. I thought there was more uh, dynamicism, like, musically happening. Uh, yeah, um, I would agree. The main thing I got from this is that Down Payment Blues I thought was interesting. Down Payment um, Blues is, is an interesting song because it's talking about, I got, I got all this rich shit, but I can't afford any of it. <laughs> which, is, which is like an interesting concept. And it's like the dealing with fame. You know, it's, it's like the... Uh, I ride a Cadillac, but I can't afford the gasoline. Like, all yeah, that yeah. shit. It's like, alright, he's enjoying the finer things in life, but he's stressing out because he knows that the fucking... The, the, the rent man is gonna be coming up behind him asking for the money, and he ain't gonna have it. That's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I agree 100% that the songs, a lot of them, sound very the same. Yeah, like, I understand, oh, they're more mature, and... Maybe that looked good relatively at the time. Like, they said, oh, everyone's singing about Satanism and da 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 But it's just like, you know, it's interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, singing about having big balls and TNT and all that shit. It's like, it's interesting. And if you're going to be mature, you know, that's okay. But it still needs to be able to get my attention. You know, and actually, I'm looking at these reviews. Apparently, the reviews weren't even that great at the time. Like, Rolling Stones only gave it a two and a half out of five. Oh, wow. And All Music gave it a, well, three and a half. Which three is and like, a half. You know, yeah, that's solid enough, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm seeing that, like, people didn't really feel this one as much. And it's funny because I was thinking about, like, the first time I listened to it, and I didn't, you know, nothing, you know, caught on for me. I was thinking, like, should I look at reviews? Just to, like, see, like, what are other people thinking? Uh, maybe I'm messed up. And then I was like, no, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I like, let me wait until after I listen to it the second time. And after I listened to it the second time, I was like, yeah, I'm still not feeling this. And, you know, I was expecting to look look it up and be like, oh, my God, it's the under, you know, underrated classic. But it was like, no. And then, you know, reception is just a, around as lukewarm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, um, what I read was that uh, it was pitched to the label. And uh, they wanted a big hit single, and they didn't think the album had one. And they... It doesn't. <laughs> and they quickly uh, recorded uh, Rock and Roll Damnation as an intro track to be the song that would be the leading single. Oh, you know what? It really does come off that way. Yeah. It really does come off like, hey, hey, wake up. We got something different. Remember that? Rock and Roll Damnation. And it's like, well, anyway, you know? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I didn't. I thought it was solid for what it was for late seventies ACDC. Would I listen to this? Typically, no. Was I one hundred percent blown away by this? No. Um, some of the main takeaways: uh, "Give Me a Bullet," which uh, you know, I will say the lyrics of these songs are. I really dug the lyrics. I think they're really well written lyrics for, especially for late seventies metal, like. These are better lyrics than these songs deserve. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they, it could have just been, you know, yelling nonsense. But he's actually saying some pretty cool shit. Uh, in the song, uh, Give Me a Bullet, he's talking about how, like, he's dealing with heartbreak and it hurts so bad that he's asking for a bullet to bite on. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, I've never heard that concept before. But then, I, and I can't fault this song for it. I can only fault 
the future song for it. But did you notice that it sounds exactly like Highway to Hell? Yes! And it, and that was Hi- one of the songs where I was like, hey. <laughs> and it's like, I can't fault this album for it because Highway to Hell isn't for like another year. So <laughs> it's like they took this song and they built upon it to make it Highway to Hell. So it's like, all right, I guess you could see. It's like Highway to Hell just has that... And this, and this was just like... Like it's missing every third chord. It's like, it sounds like it's on the right thing. And even the lyrics are even sung like it has the same pacing, which is odd. Um... Mm-hmm. Let me see. Gun shooting was uh, was was a good one. I I thought it picked up right at the end. Um, yeah, up, that up was to something my neck different. And, you and kicking the teeth. Though those are fucking rockers. They, they were yeah. like really like that. That was like that. Like again, kind of typical, but it's what they did. So if yeah, it, oh, you're a bad-hearted woman with a bad-hearted smile. Like uh, okay, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like they did this. So it's hard to mock. To, to criticize them for doing what they do. Because I was going to say, like, this is... Like, the last couple tracks are kind of stereotypical, like you said. Uh, background music in, in a rock movie. It's very, like, dr- speeding down a fucking highway. You know, type of, like, driving uh, hard rock music. And it's yeah, like... Yeah. It is typical, but then again, they kind of had a hand in kind of creating that not not to say yeah, they exactly. were the originators so of it yeah but, yeah um yeah so it's like a, it's like you can't call them un- like ripoffs or whatever because they they kind of were doing this first um mm-hmm. but yeah um it's uh huh <sighs> it's okay it's all right <laughs> yeah uh it, it's passable it's not my favorite um, I don't regret having not bought it when I was younger, um, <laughs> because at the time I bought, um, uh, High Voltage, uh, Dirty Deeds, Dunder Cheap, and I think I bought Let There Be Rock because I really liked Bon Scott as a frontman over, uh, Brian Johnson who came in, uh, starting with, uh, Back in Black. I didn't really care for him as much. Even the album cover kind of looks like... You know, not trying as hard. That album cover blows. Yeah, I know. Because, like, Power Ridge, like, I was thinking, like, wait, isn't there another album that kind of has that sort of name? And I think it was the, um, High Voltage. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, High Voltage and then Power Ridge. <laughs> like, it just seems kind of derivative, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that's, I think that's probably the best word it's like derivative of themselves. Like they're in a record contract, they gotta churn these albums out, and mm-hmm. that's just like the creative juices are kind of starting to dry up. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was reading that uh, the song, uh, the album was recorded at kind of a rough time. Uh, they were on tour with Black Sabbath, and they got kicked off the tour because of. Uh, some violent misunderstanding with the members of the groups. Mm. Uh, and then they were supposed to tour the U.S., and that didn't go through. Um, so there was a lot of shit going on. Things really weren't going their way. They had personnel changes. But that's just to kind of give you an insight on the background of the album. You, I won't let that 
interfere with my thoughts on it. You know, it's like I can't mm. be like, hey, you know, they had a rough go of it. So I can, you know, so I can look past uh, what this album was lacking in, you know, originality or uh, specific points of interest. But still, on its merits, I would still probably give it like a 3.75. Yeah, I, I would just give it the three. Three, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, it isn't bad. You know, like, it, like I didn't think any yeah, of the songs exactly. were bad. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they were all really straightforward. I, I thought the lyrics on them were, were pretty good, were, were uh, pretty fun. Um, uh, like, I like the goofiness of ACDC, but I kind of appreciated that there wasn't that much on here. Like, I like that the songs are kind of straightforward. Uh, so maybe that's why I might have um, rated it a little higher. But, yeah, not in my top three ACDC albums. And I think that probably goes for most people. Except for members in the band, apparently. Uh, the uh, members of the band put it as, like, high regard. as like, no, 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 like, that that's our best work. It's like, all right. If you, if, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You say so, bro. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of the Going Off Podcast. Thank you very much to our special guest, Rev. He's got the new B-Sides EP on his band camp. Um, all that great stuff. Always great to have him on. We did the Patreon requested album review earlier. If there is an album that you want reviewed on the podcast, it is a one-time $40 pledge to uh, patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And until next week, for the Going Off Podcast, I'm Muse. And I'm Rap Critic. And please put out an album Outcast, please? Just, just something? Alright, uh, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop.